This is the Equip Podcast hosted at Rocky Creek in Greenville, South Carolina. This weekly course seeks to equip our church for the work of ministry. Hope it will help you as well. All right, if you've got a Bible, uh, you can go ahead and turn to John chapter 6. We'll be there in just a little bit. Um, but if you're in, for those who have been uh, part of us, this is our week 7 that we've been going through something called the Divided States of America. Uh, how many of you can feel the tension, right? <laughs> United States of America is kind of a funny term right now because we don't seem too united. So what we have to get back to is that the people of God, the church of God, is where unity can actually take place. Uh, Jesus Christ is bringing together a people that is from every tribe, every nation, every tongue, and that allowing us to say, you know what? We are people that are coming together not because of all of our differences. We're aware of them, but yet we find commonality here. Uh, today's been an awesome, busy day. Uh, earlier this afternoon, we had a um, church membership meeting, and what was so fantastic, folks, we had people that are from the United States of America, we had people that were born in Jamaica, we had people that were born in El Salvador, we had people who were grown up in the church, people who had not grown up in the church. We had people who had received Christ at an early age, and people who received Christ just recently. And guess what? While all of our stories are different, we all come together through one gospel, Right? It doesn't matter where you come from. It's the good news of Jesus Christ that saves us. And so the, the deal is this. What takes place in our country, especially in recent years, is that we have found ourselves polarized on secondary issues and even allowing it to divide us within the church of Jesus Christ. And so we've got to say beyond the terminology of Southerners or Northerners, Democrats or Republicans, conservatives or liberals, black or white, you name whatever those things are, they might be a part of who you are. They are not your identity, though. They're not your identity. They're associations, and they're fine, but they're not your identity. So as we're looking at this tonight, uh, I want us to talk about the power of humility, because when Jesus comes along, there's something that's very specific he's going to show us. When it comes to governmental leadership, we often believe that most is accomplished through some type of conquering force, Right? Whether it's an army or general knocking down the walls and saying, now this land belongs to me, or it comes down to this. We're going to get out enough votes. We're going to get out enough people to do this. We're going to pass this, whatever it is. We feel like it always happens through that conquering force. But Jesus was a different type of king and set up a different type of kingdom. And we always have to remember that. He was after something very different than using political force to get upon. So let's look at the people's plan, because when Jesus was around, people obviously noticed there was something very different about him. And in John chapter 6, we're going to look at uh, something that took place, and many of you are going to know this passage, or you've heard it referenced before, but it's so very helpful, I think, for our understanding. John chapter 6, um, Jesus' ministry is starting to boom, he's starting to move, and a lot of people are starting to know who he is. And in verse number 1, this is what it reads. After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Let me stop right there. Why do you think a lot of people want to follow a guy who's giving them free health care? Right, okay? I mean, he's healing everything. You don't have to go to a doctor. You don't have to go to a nurse. You don't have to go to the hospital. This guy's healing. And they just go, hey, wherever Jesus is, the party's with him. Let's go there, right? Because if I get sick, I want to be around Jesus. Uh, folks, are we like that today? We want to follow wherever the, the help comes from, right? That, that, that it, okay, Jesus, are you giving free handouts? Okay, I'm with you. And something happens sometimes in our heart that maybe we're after what God gives rather than God himself. And so people are coming for the gifts rather than the giver. And so people are starting to follow Jesus, not because of who he is, but because of what he's given. And so verse 3, it says, Jesus went up on the mountain, and there 
he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread so these people may eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he was going to do. Philip answered him, Two hundred denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. He's like, we don't have that type of money, okay? Um, I've seen the treasury. We're not making it. Verse 8. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? Jesus said, Have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. Now, let me just stop there for a second, because this is important for you to catch. Why in the world is it important in the middle of this narrative to try to tell you there's grass around this area? Like, what is this, a geography class? Like, what, what, why, why is it important, John, for you to write down that you ask them to sit down in the green grass? Possibly, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in... He's wanting to let you know that in a place that's very much known for the desert wilderness type of area where there's nothing but sand, Jesus was around green grass to say, sit here, guys, it's comfortable there. And their eyes were going, whoa, whoa, whoa wait a minute. Are, are you the one here taking care of all of our needs? So it then says, okay, um, men sat down, verse 11. Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, Gather up the leftover fragments, that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled twelve baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, This is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. Folks, not only did he take and bless five thousand men, and most people say, okay, well, the women and children we're talking about, that it could be upwards up to 20,000 people in that field. He fed with five loaves and two fish. They even have leftovers. Now, if you imagine this, Thanksgiving's coming up, and you're like, i got to feed my family on a budget. I'm hanging with this guy, right? Okay, wherever he goes, if he can do this type of stuff, like, I, I, I'm going to be with him. So the people are saying, hey, this is indeed the prophet who has come into to the world. Now look at this next thing. It says, perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him what? King. Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself? So don't miss this, okay? Jesus is getting a huge crowd rallied together. They're in God's land, God's, God's the promised land, right? They're, they're in this area, and the Roman Empire has basically taken over jurisdiction. They're living in their land, but they got to pay taxes to Caesar. They're living under Roman rule. And all of a sudden, they've been looking for who is the heir to King David? Who is the heir to King Solomon? Who's going to push out all of these Romans, and we can have our land back and not have to pay taxes to anybody? We're looking for somebody who comes from that kingly line. Guess who's in Jesus' family tree? King David. King Solomon. He is that king that they've been waiting for. And now here he is feeding all these people on a budget. I mean, this, this must be the guy we've been looking for. And what do they want to make him? They see he's a prophet, and they want to make him king. Now, in our spiritual eyes, we go, oh, that's good, because Jesus needs to be the king of our life. That's not the type of king they were thinking. They were thinking, get Caesar out of our backyard and let him be king. We're not paying taxes to them anymore. We want a new government leader. So, so make sure you get this. Since Jesus was able to meet the people's need in a miraculous way, they hoped he would bring about the restoration of the Jewish kingdom. What were they after? Deliverance. What are they after? 
relief from all this political pressure. What were they after? They wanted to kick the Romans out of their land and they don't have to pay taxes to them anymore. So as soon as they see a guy who is charismatic, bold, powerful, and doing some miraculous things, they go, that's the answer. The answer to what? Our sin problem? Nope. Our political one. <laughs> Let's make him king. Let's make him king. Let, let's see what we can do. And so they're, they're all about bringing about the restoration of the Jewish um, kingdom. They were eager to free themselves from a Roman ruler, and Jesus seemed to be the best candidate to lead a successful revolt. Why were so many people after him? This is going to be the guy that's going to get us free. And not free from a spiritual standpoint, but free from a physical, political standpoint. And so they thought, here's the best candidate. Let's latch ourselves to him. Now, folks, are y'all starting to see a little similarities with where we are even today in 2020? Where we expect political leaders to bring about spiritual results. And folks, as we're going to see through the life of Jesus, Jesus was after a different type of kingdom. He was a different type of king. And so they're seeing, hey, this is the guy. So it says they're going to try to come take him by force, make him king. What does that mean? Well, uh, don't miss this. And, and Jesus, he, he uh, pulled together out of all the people who followed him, there were 12 disciples that stayed with him most of all, right? Does anybody remember what the job of a guy named Matthew was, one of his disciples? It was a what? Tax collector. tax collector. Matthew was a tax collector. So who was Matthew as a Jewish man collecting taxes for? The Romans, for Caesar, right? So do you think all the Jewish people liked tax collectors back in the days? <laughs> Hated them. Hated them. Couldn't stand them. Why? He's working for the man. He's part of the establishment. He's one of our own, and he's taking money for, for that government. Matthew is a disciple, and yet you know there's another disciple name? His name was Simon the Zealot. You know what a zealot does? They're a political revolutionary trying to overthrow the people in charge. So you got Matthew taking up money for Caesar, and you got Simon trying to overthrow Caesar, and Jesus goes, yeah, why don't both of y'all be on the same team? Now, folks, y'all ever been around somebody that you don't see eye to eye with? You know how struggling that, how challenging that is? Imagine this scenario. I, I imagine Jesus one day is like, all right, guys, group activity. Let's do a trust fall. Simon, come over here. Matthew, you, know, you set up. I mean, these people are so different in the way that they think about life and politics. And Jesus says, don't miss this, guys. If there is room at the table of the kingdom of God for a tax collector and a zealot, guess what? Maybe our political ideologies shouldn't separate us either. We always, no, 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 y'all one of those. We push them aside, push them aside, and Jesus is going, no, 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 come into the table. So what does this group want to do? Let's make him, instead of the prophet, let's make him the king. Let's push him out in there. And with a great amount of people supporting him, Jesus resisted their efforts because his plan wasn't to win a political battle. Jesus' job, his goal was not to win a political battle. So what does he do? At the height of his popularity, nothing has happened like what happened there in John chapter 6. More people there, bigger crowd. By force, they probably could have gotten something done. And what does Jesus do? He goes by himself to the mountain. This is the most anti thing we would think anybody would ever do. Folks, if you get about 20,000 people like clamoring for you and saying you're the best, I'd hang around for a couple more hours at least, right? <laughs> Y'all tell me how great I am again. Y'all keep going, okay? What else you got to say? Oh, no, 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 your turn. I don't want to give you. Everybody pass the microphone around. What's he do? Gets away. To what? Pray. Position himself where he needs to be, spiritually speaking. And so the, the people's plan was to take a spiritual leader and make him king. 
But what is the Messiah's approach? Well, turn over to John chapter 12, because we're going to see what he did. While the popularity started there in John chapter 6, things really started to escalate a little bit later on in his journey. He has now been ministering with these people for three years. They have seen him do everything imaginable. You think feeding 5,000 is impressive? Walking on water? Um, allowing the blind to see? The deaf can hear? The lame can walk? There's even a dead guy who was in the grave for four days who's alive right now. Name's Lazarus. These people are, okay, there's something different about this guy. They're, they're at that place, right? And on what we would refer to as Palm Sunday, Jesus walks into Jerusalem. And the people, there are some people in the crowd thinking, this is what we've been waiting for. We're ready to march on the capital city. We're ready to take our land back. We're ready to take over ownership. And we're going to be in the position of authority again. And look what Jesus does. in uh, John chapter 12, verse number 9, it says it this way. When the large crowd of the Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came not only on account of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to put Lazarus to death as well, because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. Now let me stop there for a second. So you tell me Lazarus died, Jesus brought him back to life, and these Jews want to kill him again. I go, it didn't work last time. Okay, like he didn't stay dead for long, okay? Why do you want to kill him? You answer the question. It says right there. Many of the Jews were starting to believe in Jesus, and they're scared. So we got to get rid of the evidence that Jesus actually is Lord here. The opponents of God's kingdom wanted to silence the proof of Jesus' life-changing power. Lazarus was standing there. Everybody knew he was dead. They'd been at the funeral. He'd been dead four days, in the grave for four days, and a group of people had seen him come out of the tomb, wrapped up, set him free, and now he's walking around anymore. And everybody goes, is that Lazarus? That's the guy who's dead? Are you sure you saw him dead? The coroner came out. The body was cold. It was done. We went to the funeral. He was wrapped up for four days, and all of a sudden, Jesus came out to that tomb and said what? Lazarus, come forth. And what did Lazarus say? I'll be there in about 20 minutes. No, 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 no. <laughs> When Jesus calls on you, your dead heart starts to beat again, and you don't have time to say, can you hold on for a little bit? When he calls, that heart starts beating again. And Lazarus is a picture, honestly, while that happened physically to a man named Lazarus, that's what happened spiritually to every single one of us. Jesus walks outside of the tomb of our hearts and calls out for us, and our spiritual hearts begin to beat again when he calls us for it. And so here, is, here he is, these, but now Lazarus is alive, and these Jews want to kill him. Why? Because it's proof. Jesus is more than what we thought he was. They're still wanting to be a political leader. He's more than that. I mean, when's the last time you saw a senator bring somebody back to life? You know, okay. It's not happening, okay? It doesn't happen. So here he is, and they know something was very, very different. Verse 12 says, The next day the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the what? King of Israel. So Hosanna, that word means save us, God. Save us, O oh God. Here he is. They're, they're crying out, save us, O oh God, while Jesus is coming in. And they're, they're bringing down the palm branches. They're, they're crying out. They're singing, singing, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. Now, 
Maybe you have heard someone say it this way before, but the difference between that Sunday and the following Friday is dramatic regarding that crowd. Because on Sunday, they're saying, Hosanna. And on Friday, they're going to be yelling, crucify him. Now, what changed? Why would a crowd in Jerusalem say, this is our king. And now on Friday, just crucify him. Why? Because Jesus had the opportunity to start a revolution, and he didn't do it. And they were let down. They were frustrated. They were going, wait a minute, I thought this is what we were after here. Like, weren't you the guy we've been waiting for? Aren't you the Messiah? Aren't you the king? And he's saying, yeah, but my jurisdiction is not a geographical location. It's on the hearts and lives of people as they go forward. And, and so you have to understand that the crowds believed Jesus to be the long way to Messiah and the sought-after king. They thought he was the one. They've been waiting for him for so long, and they think he's here. So they're saying, save us. Maybe some of them were saying, save us in a spiritual sense, but a lot of them were saying, save us in a political sense. We don't want to pay taxes anymore. We don't want to be under Roman rule anymore. We want to be able to do things our way. Save us, Jesus. Jesus says, I can save you. But there is something even greater than your political oppression. It's what sin has done to your heart. And that's what I'm here to save. Uh, you ever read the story of Mark chapter 2, where the guy is brought in as a paralytic, his four friends bring him in, lower him in through the roof? I read that story before. Jesus is sitting there preaching. He's having a little, a little home church going on there. A lot of people are sitting there talking, and all of a sudden he's in the middle of his, his, uh, his talk. And then all of a sudden the roof opens up, and this guy starts getting lowered in on, on a cot. Four friends, you know, lowering him down there. Everybody in the room is probably really upset at messing up the party, except for Jesus, who thinks this is awesome, okay? <laughs> Paralytic never walked a day in his life, lowered down, always seen his eyes of people who disrespect him or so frustrated that he's breaking up on their agenda. This sitting in the flow of service. This sitting on the, the chart. This sitting printed out. This is not in the order of service today. We did not say we're going to have the roof open up, right? And all of a sudden, you imagine that this guy, why was he brought before Jesus? Because his friends had heard what Jesus could do. And over and over, this paralytic has got to be thinking in his mind. He's been waiting all of his life to hear these words. Pick up your pallet and walk. That's all he's ever wanted. All he's ever wanted. Some holy man to come up to him and say, I got the authority to heal you. Pick up your pallet and walk. Jesus looks at him. You got to imagine his mind going, pick up your pallet and walk, pick up your pallet and walk, pick up your pallet and walk. And Jesus goes, son, pick up your pallet and walk, pick up your pallet and walk, pick up your pallet and walk. Son, your sins are forgiven. How about my legs? What about those, Jesus? Jesus knew that there's an even worse danger than being crippled and it's being spiritually dead. He came for healing and Jesus offered him something better. And then what happens? Great. This is awesome. The Pharisees go, what did you say, Jesus? You said his sins are forgiven. There's only one person who can forgive sins but God. And are you telling us that you have the authority to forgive sins? Because if you do, that means you think you're God. And he goes, hey, just in case you're wondering, if you want to know if I have the authority to say that, son, pick up your pallet and go home. And he gets up. And all of a sudden, what do they know? The Pharisees know what Jesus has done. He, just, he, he, he literally just called them out and said, I am God in the flesh here. And I can heal this man. And I can release from political establishments, but can I tell you this? There's something even greater and more important that needs to take place, and that is deliverance of your sin. You need to be forgiven. You need to be healed again. And so in this moment like this, you see the same kind of thing. People are looking for one thing, and Jesus is offering them something else. And they're going to feel like, but that's not what we came for. And Jesus is going, but it's something that you need even more than you can imagine. 
And, and so here, here's the picture. This is awesome, right? It says here, they're, they're, they're singing out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. Now, if you were trying to impress the masses of Jerusalem, what kind of ride do you think you'd come in on? I mean, I'd, I'd come in on something impressive, right? I, I want to wow everybody in there. Here's the triumphal entry that people are going to remember forever. I'm going to get the most, I mean, incredibly, you know, scary, powerful-looking horse and come in, and there's going to be chariots and stuff flanking me and everything. And what does this guy come in on? Verse 14, and Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it. When was the last time you were scared of a JV donkey? Anybody? <laughs> okay, like, I mean, now, now some of you are like, no, I, I've been around with some. They, they, they're mean. I get it, Okay. But this is a young donkey that Jesus comes in. Um, I don't know if, 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 if you've ever been like this, but there have been times in my life where growing up that have you, have you ever felt embarrassed when you rolled up to a certain place with all your friends around and you were in your parents' car and you're like, oh, no, mom struck me off over there. Anybody ever felt? Okay, maybe just me. Okay, you ever had that moment? Maybe even you, your first car and whatnot, and it's sputtering, and it's making smoke, and it's making all this noise and stuff. Like, yeah, I'll park over there, and I'll walk out. Like, sometimes you feel embarrassed. And what does Jesus, unashamed, come in riding a young donkey? Why? Why in the world would do that? Kings do not typically take over land while mounted upon a young donkey, Okay. That is not the way it typically goes. You, you don't normally walk in and say, oh, this is how I'm going to impress everybody. And yet it's going to tell you what's taking place. Jesus is actually fulfilling a prophecy a few hundred years old at this time from Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. Zechariah 9, 9, it says this, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. Once again, so our king is coming. They're thinking he's the king. Why is the king not riding in on a horse? <laughs> Why didn't he have a chariot? Why is he on a young donkey? What, what is the point of this? And, and I, I think that Jesus is saying something very important here, that if he wanted to take over by might, Jesus would have come arrayed differently. If Jesus wanted a political revolution, he'd have come in with an army. He'd have come in with some people bearing some arms, and instead they're bearing palm branches. He'd have come in with a... Uh, Complete entourage of forces, and he comes in literally riding on a young donkey. And so, verse 16, it says, His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. The crowd that had been with him, when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead, continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they heard he had done this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, you see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. We're losing them. We're losing them. Got to get that influence back, right? And, and so this is what's interesting about what Jesus is, his whole plan through this. For those transformed by Jesus' humility, his lordship over their lives was a spiritual nature rather than a political one. Could, if Jesus had this type of momentum, do you think he could have started a political movement that would have slowed everybody down? Oh, yeah. In fact, uh, there's an old song that I remember when I was a kid being so moved by, and then one day figuring out it actually was in Scripture, where one day someone looks at Jesus while he's sitting there on the cross and says, don't you want to come down? And he says, don't you think right now if I wanted to come down, I could call down legions of angels to my disposal? Don't you think I could get out of this if I want to? Herod tells him, 
Somebody comes and says, Herod, the king of this area wants to see you. You got to tell that fox I'll be there in three days when I'm good and ready. <laughs> Not time yet. Hey, you might want to be nice to him. He can get you out of this, but I'm coming to get in this. Jesus wasn't shrinking back from the cross. That's what he's going for. Like if he wanted a political revolution, he could have done it, but that's not what he was after. Now, his humility, the way that he comes in riding on a young donkey, and, and, and the deal is this. It wasn't a geographical authority he was after. He was after you and I being walking, breathing, living embassies all over this world. You know what an embassy is? It's that you can be in a foreign country, and if you're a citizen of that country, that embassy is sovereign territory where you can go in and find refuge. So you could be in a foreign country and civil unrest break out, and supposedly they can't touch that embassy because you're, if you're in there, you're protected. It's almost as if you are on United States soil at that point, right? You are a walking embassy of the Lord Jesus Christ. You are a tabernacle walking around in His presence. Wherever you go, He goes. You don't have to go to a geographical region for Him to be near you. You don't have to go to a building to be able to be a part of his presence. So when Jesus comes in, he says this. So if you're going to follow me, you're not going to follow me because you're like, wow, look at that dude's horse, right? Look at that entourage. Man, I want to be a part of that political movement. If you followed him, it's because you believed in what he was doing spiritually. And you were going to go all up. Now, that's how he came the first time. But Revelation talks about when he's going to come the second time. And it speaks of that he's not going to come back on that donkey. That donkey is retired, by the way, okay? If you turn over to Revelation chapter 19, I want to show you that there is a time for a hostile takeover, okay? There is a time for unhinged force and authority being unchallenged and unchecked. That day is coming, but it is not today. And we got to make sure that we don't get those days messed up. So, so what happens is, is that when we look at verse, Revelation chapter 19, verse 11, John, who wrote this gospel that we've been reading from, says it this way, Then I saw heaven open, and behold, a white, what? Horse. horse. Now, if you had to choose between a donkey and a horse, which one are you going for? Okay. Here's what I want you to get. Jesus rode on a donkey during his first visit, but the next time he will come on a white war horse. This, this uh, comparison is very intentional. I hope you see it. When Jesus comes into the city of which he is supposed to take over the first time, he comes humbly riding a donkey. Second time, he comes in with the army. And this time for war. And here's the thing, folks. The Jews back in Jesus' day wanted him to come in on a war horse that first day. Just come in and just take over. And he goes, but if we take over, guess what? The people aren't here because their hearts are mended to the Lord. They're here because out of fear. And perfect love drives out every sense of fear. And so we have to make sure that we get this procession right. So it says, I saw heaven open and behold a white horse. The one sitting on it was called Faithful and True. Who's that? Jesus. Jesus. Hey, folks, if you had a nickname, it's a pretty good one right here. What's your nickname? Faithful and true. Jesus is faithful. He always comes through. He's never been faithless. He's never been unfaithful. He's always there when you need him. He's always true. He's never lie. He never speaks anything that's not a promise to you that cannot be fulfilled. He is faithful. He is true. And in righteousness, he judges and makes what? War. Uh Uh-oh. 
happened to Jesus? He have a bad day? What's going on here, right? What, what, what is this now? Verse 12, his eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, and he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. They got horses too. From his mouth comes a sharp sword which to strike down the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. He's not some just JV king who's going to take over a little area. When he comes back, game over. Lights out, battle done. How long is the battle going to go on? As long as he wants it to go on. Because when he speaks, it's over. When he comes, with that army, there's no more fight anymore. There's no more prince of Persia holding back Michael or any other angel like we saw in Daniel this morning, right? There, there is no more battle. It's just over when it happens. And, if you, and, and, and so with this, we, we understand that at that future time, the opportunity to repent will be over. Repent means to turn around, change your life, right? When Jesus comes back, you don't have a, okay, by the way, I've seen you now. Can I get another chance here? It's over. Your time to repent is over. Because why? Because if you see him coming in on the white horse with all the angels full of white horse, you know we ain't winning against that one. Okay? I surrender. I'm in. No, no, no. Now he can't trust your heart. You're surrendering because of political force now. You're surrendering because of might. You're not surrendering because your heart is after him. So there, there's coming a time when everything's going to change. And when he comes... Jesus will come to conquer once and for all. It's over. Him and his army comes forward at this place. It's going to be where he takes over. Old preacherism says when Jesus comes back, he ain't coming to take sides. He's coming to take over. There's a lot of truth there. There's not going to be any kind of political fighting back and forth. There's not anybody going to demand any type of way. We didn't vote you in, King Jesus. We didn't need a vote. And verse 17 then I saw an angel standing in the sun, and with a loud voice he called to all the birds that fly directly overhead, Come gather for the great supper of God, to eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses and the riders, and the flesh of all men, both free and slave, both small and great. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth with their names gathered to make war against him, who was sitting on the horse and against his army, and the beast was captured. Well, that was quick, right? You going to put up a fight? He did. That's it. That was it. And with it, the false prophet who was in his presence had done the signs which he had deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped its image. Those two were thrown alive into the lake of fire that burns with sulfur, and the rest were slain by the sword that came from the mouth of him who was sitting on the horse, and all the birds were gorged with their flesh. Wow, that doesn't even sound like a fight. It's not. It's not a fight. There's coming a day where every single political force, every demonic activity, every single rebel on this earth will be put in their place once and for all. Every person, government, and kingdom that opposes him will be soundly defeated one day. That day is coming to a glorious conclusion. And there is nothing that you or I can stop it. We can't stop it. We can't slow it down. We can't alter it. We can't change it. It's a day that I believe that is coming. Uh, if you listen to my grandfather-in-law, he is pretty confident that it's coming any day. The older that I get, 
the more I agree with him. Okay. Uh, I do know this. When is Jesus coming back? It's closer today than it was yesterday. Right? Can we agree on that? Okay, it's a little bit closer. Are we seeing signs of the times? Oh, yeah. They're everywhere. Are there places in the world that have been seeing the signs of time long before we did? They're like, well, y'all just catching up. We've been here a long time, okay? Life is hard. There's opposition working against God's people. But yet there is a time coming that we believe that God is going to come and do a miraculous work and that no one can fight against. And, and I want you to see this contrast. Don't, don't miss it. When Jesus came on the way to the cross, he came humbly, sitting on a donkey, and said this, if you follow me, you're not following me for pomp and circumstance. You're not following me because it's the popular thing to do. You're following me because I'm on the way to the cross for the forgiveness of your sins. And those people who sign up for that king get the Revelation 19 king as well. That when all of a sudden he comes back and the sides are decided and what, who's on which side and who's fighting for who, all that's made clear. And so that king who came in humble on a donkey is going to come back to take over. In the split second, the battle is over. And so the reasonable application for us as the people of God, and the reason why I say that is, is um, this. I believe that sometimes the church of Jesus Christ, that we get mixed up on what our responsibility is regarding the church and politics. Um, I don't know about you, but if, if you got overwhelmed with the commercials and the candidates and the different things that you'd see all over the place and whatnot, we went through somebody's neighborhood the other day and they had like, it's like the neighbors were yelling at each other with the signs in their, their, their front you know, yards, like, oh, you vote for this person, well, I'm voting for this person. We, we live in that world, right? And here's, here's the danger. Um, I, there, there's, I put as much hope in a political candidate that I do and what a political candidate can provide. And what I mean by that is I don't expect any king, politician, or president, or emperor to do what God can do. And I don't expect any government to do what the church can do. Folks, the, the government's trying to figure out how we can find racial reconciliation in this country. Church has figured that out a long time ago. Be the body of Christ. The most important thing about us is not our differences, but our commonality in the person who saved us. Churches figured that out a long time ago. Government's coming, coming up with programs and let's hire this and do this. And maybe we can get... No, it, it's about the fact that we are one in Christ. We were made in His image. There is no person who is better than another based on any skin tone than what they have. They are made in the image of God and every single person should be respected for that image that's stamped upon them. And with that, if we understand this, but... so. I don't expect the government, y'all ready for this? I don't expect the government to change the morality of the citizens of the United States of America. That's the church's job. And you go, well, we don't, aren't doing a good job. Well, step it up, folks, right? You, we can't expect government to do what God has called the church to do. And so when we look at this passage of Scripture, as we see that the, the people were wanting to make Jesus king, and Jesus comes in as a king of a different type of kingdom, but then one day he's coming to be that type of king that puts every political leader and every kingdom in its place. We have to understand this. Those who align with the invisible kingdom of God now will partake in the visible and victorious kingdom of God later. So right now, we are a part of a kingdom you can't see with your eyes. There's not a land where you can go to and be safe. But I'll say this. 
you can be a walking embassy every single place that you go. And wherever you tread, the presence of God is in that place. And wherever you go, the power of God is available at your disposal to do the things that God is doing. And so those who align right now the invisible kingdom of God with what he's doing, that one day, one day when he does come back, whether it's in my lifetime or if I die and go to see him or he comes back before that time comes, I'm a part of the visible and victorious kingdom of God then that is going to be my reality forever. Where there is no sin, there are no tears, there is no cancer, there are no arguments, there are no political ads anymore. Praise the Lord, hallelujah. There is, there, none of that stuff, right? There's no bills. Praise God. There's no interest payments, right? They're, they're all, all those things are done away with. And we're living there, and you get to actually live in that. But right now, you can't expect any country on this world to do what heaven was designed to do. We're, 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 hoping, we're hoping for some of these candidates to provide what God can provide. There's no way. Now, now, we act and live responsibly, but we also understand there's a limit to all that. So we have to render to government what is government's, but render to, to God what is God's. A passage of Scripture where Jesus said one day, they said, hey, should we pay taxes or not? He says, show me the coin. What's the coin say? The coin's got Caesar's face on it. All right, well, if it's Caesar's coin, give it to Caesar. And then he says this, and give to God what's God's. And they went, oh, and they all walked away. Why would they walk away from that? I, I, don't, I don't have a denarii or a penny on me, but if you did... Put out a penny right now. Does anybody know whose face is on that? It's Abraham Lincoln, right? Okay, that's our Caesar. Okay, so Abraham Lincoln is on that penny, and so it means that it belongs to who? The United States government. Hey, what's in my pocket? It, it belongs to them. They're going to get it one day. Okay, listen. So Abraham Lincoln's face is stamped upon that coin, therefore telling you that it belongs to that government. And so he says, render to Caesar what Caesar's and render to God what's God's. Will you tell me what image is stamped upon you? God's image is stamped upon you. So Abe Lincoln can get that penny, but God gets what's his, and that's you. You rendered him everything. So you say, all right, yeah, Abe Lincoln can get the penny. God gets my life because I'm stamped with his image. So anything he asks of me, I'll do. And it's not dependent upon how the government's going or what country I'm in or what these people are doing. I'm going to be in no matter what. I render to government what is government's, but I render to God what is God's, and I belong to him. And so never settle for a lesser goal by focusing on minor legislative victories when Christ is after a worldwide transformation. Folks, I pray and hope that in the coming days, political leaders will make wise decisions. I hope and pray that the Supreme Court does things that are in favor of what God would have us to run as a um, government. I pray that God would raise up some godly leaders who fear him and lead well. And guess what? If they don't, if it doesn't happen, my job doesn't change tomorrow morning. No matter who's elected, no matter who's inaugurated, no matter who gets a first, second, third term, whatever around here, my job doesn't change. I'm going to make disciples. That's what I do. No matter who's in charge, that's what the church is called to do. And so, folks, the, the, the position of us should be the position of Jesus when he came, that power of humility to say, while we're here on this earth, we're not going to be prideful, arrogant people trying to take things by force. We want to be humble people that are saying, the transformation we're after is at the heart level, above all else. And let's pray to that end. Father, we do thank you tonight that as we are able to open your word and just see this progression through the life of Jesus, that we are just mindful of, God, how good, how faithful you are to us. We thank you for the way that 
you teach us things uh, and, and through your word and through your spirit. I thank you for those that are assembled here today. Um, we, are, we live in confusing times where there are many people that are telling us in the media and out in the world that uh, get this right government person in office and everything's going to be okay. But Lord, if, if you're not at that seat, I know that we're in trouble. Uh, ultimately, I, I know that we are longing for heaven of which you are the king of, and we're not going to find that perfectly in this world. We can strive for it. We can vote for good things. We can hope for good outcomes. But even if one day this country has as its president the Antichrist himself, I'm going to follow you. And even if every ruling and every law comes against the church of Jesus Christ, I'm still going to be your church. I'm not going to back down from it. So on the good days, on the bad days, on the successful days, on the failure days, on the days that are easy, the days that are difficult, help us to follow you and to be the kingdom of God that know who our citizenship is beyond any kind of country of origin. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Thank you guys so much for being here tonight.